So I am so grateful that we get to still proclaim the truth of God's word. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do. We do this shamelessly, and now we do it publicly beyond the four walls. It's really interesting that as a child going to church who had a sense of a calling that God was, was calling me in to do ministry, I was always asking the question, how do we do ministry outside the four walls of the church? How does the rest of the world get to see the truth that is found in Jesus Christ in, that we proclaim so boldly inside of our churches? And now here I am in an empty sanctuary pushing out this message online. And I know that, you know, you are, are with us and you're part of this church community, but as we continue to invite others to join online, it becomes so easy for others to hear the truth of Jesus Christ on the Sunday morning, or if you say, hey, on a Tuesday evening, let's, let's watch with some friends that don't usually go to church. It just becomes a really great place where we can hear the truth of Jesus. And what we're going to do, actually, from now until Easter. Can you believe it? Easter 2021. It's actually on the horizon. From now until Easter, we're going to enter into a study on the book of Galatians. And it's going to be a really, in, well, it's going to be a good in-depth study. It's going to look at the, the contributing factors to Galatians. It's going to look at what Paul's really talking about and how we're going to see Paul um, express himself in this letter to this young church. And uh, it's just going to be a pleasure to do it. Now, if you're joining with us, we are going to do something really fun today. We're adding this to the service, that your Slack comments that are directed at the service content, um, I have Slack open on my computer as well as uh, my preaching notes. And so I'm going to allow the Slack comments to interrupt my preaching notes, and I'm going to address them um, if, they're, if they fit inside of what we're saying, or if you're really brilliant and notice that I misquoted something like I did last Sunday, and you can correct me on it right away. Um, it would be wonderful. And so welcome to, uh, to joining us on, on Slack. Uh, if you don't yet have Slack, you can enter in uh, comments in the comment box on the, uh, today's service um, from promisechurch.community, and you can enter that in, and I'll also get a notification of that on my computer, and uh, we'll be able to address that as well. So this is very good. Uh, let me start off just with... Um, of uh, some prayer, and then we're going to go into a couple introductory thoughts on the book of Galatians. God, I thank you so much that you have seen fit in the internet age to give all churches a push to a public forum, a public space where we are then proclaiming the truth that we so dearly hold out to the world which you so dearly love. And so, God, I just pray that you would anoint the words that are spoken, that the content of this service, but the content of hundreds and thousands of other churches, that it would be glorifying to you, that, that it would be a message that's not swayed by anything else but you and your truth and your love. God, I pray that, that you would anoint the messages that are going out online in many different churches and through this church, through my mouth, I pray that your word would be proclaimed boldly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to understand a little bit about Galatians, um, ab about the Galatian church. I'm not going to go into a lot of the commentary stuff about like 
when it was written and what are the theories on that because the theories do abound. Um, people have different ideas of when it was written, but I'm not going to go into that. What I want to do is I want to sum up the Galatian church in a sentence for us where we can get a, a handle on some of what's going on in the church. See, the Galatian church is a young church and it's being pulled off mission and off message by traditions of influential people. And they need, they need to be encouraged to reframe and continue on with the, miss, with the mission and the message that God gave them to start. So the Galatian church is brand new and they're, they started off with, with good amount of, of energy and going in the right direction. And as they grew, they were pulled into an older form, a traditionalism that Paul is addressing. And he's saying, no, you need to get back to where you started. Well, this compares really, really well to Promise Church. As a new church, as a young church, sometimes, and, and we actually need to, reframe after being heavily impacted by circumstances of COVID. You know, we need to reset and continue on the mission and on the message that we started with, that God has been working in us. And so in this study, we're going to, we're going to take a look at, um, at Galatians and what, is, what has come of Galatians in the past decade, a little bit more than a decade, has been some really lively discussion between a couple of really solid theologians. Um, one theologian is John Piper. And John Piper is, is, a, he is a solid, godly man who writes really amazing books. One of the most influential books in my Christian life was a book called Desiring God about Christian hedonism written by John Piper. And it was amazing and, and a solid book. And so I have a lot of respect for John Piper. The other person that we're going to be kind of referencing throughout the service, uh, throughout you know, this along with the text of Galatians, is we're going to be looking at N.T. Wright, who is an Anglican uh, minister in England. And he has written a bunch of books on Paul and on Galatians. And so we're going, they actually wrote a series of three books that talk to each other and, and they correct each other and they're pushing on each other's thoughts so that the truest articulation of what we know to be truth uh, comes out. And so there's some tension that exists between N.T. Wright and Piper in their beliefs. And we're going to explore some of that, not to choose sides, but to allow both to influence our understanding and allow us to see clearly what God is saying in the book of Galatians. So, you know, traditions have been very, very important. And, you know, we're going to get to uh, Galatians 1, um, 1, to, uh, 1 to 9 in just a minute. But I just a couple more introductory comments. Traditions are extremely important to the church to the Christian church, um, there have been big changes in the 2,000-year history of the church. The first century church, for example, was a big change to what it was, what it means to worship God. The first century church introduced a new paradigm in how we worship God, in how 
everybody accesses God. And we're, we're going to deal with that directly in the book of Galatians. Um, we also see later on, we see the creation of the Roman Catholic Church. And this affected church in a very significant way. In fact, I would suggest that God protected the church in the Roman Catholic institution for almost a thousand years, actually just over a thousand years. God protected the church, protected his mission inside the Roman Catholic Church, and it has been, uh, it has been standing and still stands today, and we, and we see it and we know it. The Protestant Reformation, though, happened in the 1500s, uh, led by Martin Luther, influenced by John Calvin and, and Zwingli. And, and the Protestant Reformation, again, was a major change to traditions inside the church. Later on, you see the Great Awakenings happening in the 1800s. Major changes inside the church. And, and in the early 1900s, we see the Pentecostal movement come, come to, to bear. And over the past 100 and 110, 120 years, the Pentecostal movement has has changed again traditions and understanding of the church. So it's really important that we understand that there have been major changes that have happened inside the church that, ha that cause Christians to deal with uh, traditions, that cause us to understand how we're going to move forward in our traditions. And every one of these points to, to how the church changes their traditions. And today, right now, the church is experiencing major change as we're entering into an unnamed conflict of the internet age. How we deal with truth, how we deal with information, and, and high levels of access to information is affecting the church in so many important ways. And, and absolutely thank you, Joel, for saying, don't forget that in, tw in 2018, Promise Church has started, which will affect the traditions of churches. You know... That's, that's so important. So the world is changing a lot. And what's happened in history is tradition tends to moderate change. It tends to actually help society get through change until tradition starts to change, or in some cases doesn't change. And it helps us moderate change. It helps us understand how we work through the ebbs and flows of culture. But what I need to say right at the beginning, before we get to the text, is God's story never changes. God's story doesn't change. And the benefit we have is, is that no matter what happens in culture, when we look back at history, early church scripture, church history, we see that God has changed, or God has not changed, and he has protected the mission and the message of the world, even while the church has changed. And so, the reach of Judaism was always intended to be global. And this is really interesting. That's a big statement. But when we look at Judaism, when we look at God's mission, it goes even before Jesus. It takes the whole years that would be considered the, the Jewish years, the, the years of the Old Testament. And God's mission was always global. God was always interested in taking care of all people and bringing all people back to him. And we see that actually really, really early on in Genesis uh, 26, verse 4. We see, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens. I will give to your offspring all these lands, all of them, right? And in your offspring, all the nations, the Gentiles and the other nations are included here, 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There is a promise given to Abram and given to, to the people, his sons, that God is going to establish a name for himself, a name for himself that will bless all of the world. The mission of God has always been to call all humanity back to himself and to make all things right. So Israel has always been the center of, the, of God's plan for the world. You know, it's always been that, that God is going to make a name for himself through his people. And in the book of Galatians, that's what's being addressed. That's what's happening here. Paul's reoccurring theme is the systems or the law that we have in place as Jews, you know, have limited the promise of God to an ethnocentric circle. And so God has made a way through Jesus to fulfill the promises of Abraham to all the nations of the world. And that is what Paul saw when he understood that Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul saw in Israel a man, a prophet, the Messiah, comes to, comes to bear and then is killed and is resurrected. The suffering servant now applies to Jesus. And so we see that, that Paul is saying, oh my goodness, all of the systems, the law, the traditions that we have have kept Jesus, has, or sorry, have kept God in one place, in one nation, when God's mission is to get to all nations, and he does it through Jesus. All right, so are we ready? Are we ready to dive into expectations? Are we ready to, to see what God is doing? So, you know, um, someone actually just asked, what about the charismatic movement? And that's a really important question. The charismatic movement is, is definitely a part of those changes that have come in and have affected the way that we see uh, the way that we see church and, and God. And so that happened in, in the 70s and on and infected or in, impacted, sorry, all of the denominations. And so we definitely see that happening. So let's, uh, let's get, get into this. Um, we're going to read Galatians 1, 1 to 9 today and see uh, where Paul gets his authority from and how he's setting up his conflict. Galatians 1, 1 to 9. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the church of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we've already preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel 
contrary to the one you received. Let him be accursed. Wow, what an introduction to a letter. These letters are usually read inside of, of the home churches and gatherings and, and places where, where people uh, were gathered. And so this would have been given to the, the church that gathers in the town of Galatia. And that's the way it starts off. It starts off with, with Paul introducing himself as a typical letter would. But then it moves directly into conflict. It moves right into this this huge statement, these huge statements, and so we need to understand what happened here. So the first thing he starts off with is uh, verse 1. He starts off with a, with a statement of foundational authority. Paul knows that he's about to cause a storm of tension, and he's not backing away from conflict. Okay, as Canadian Christians, we sometimes don't enter into conflict when necessary. You know, we sometimes hold back on conflict because in our Canadian context, we actually don't really practice conflict well. Much of the ways that we practice conflict is actually the way we, um, the way we deal with conflict is we actually divide. We separate. And we say, here's my view and here's your view. And because we can't actually bring them bring them into one or we can't actually do anything with it what we do is we just shut you out and we conf and we and we solve conflict by separating and we do it in families we do it between siblings we do it between friends we do it in work organizations we do it by quitting jobs we do it in all kinds of different ways when we when we don't want to deal with conflict we actually just separate and Paul is not separating he's actually holding on really strong here. He's actually saying, I'm not giving up on you people. I'm going to hold on and I'm going to show you the conflict and I'm going to lead you through it. That's huge. So how does Paul uh, enter conflict Paul, and know when to enter conflict? Paul uses the metric of God's global intention. Sometimes the church enters conflict, but, but enters conflict over things that are trivial. But Paul is using the metric of God's global intention. Paul is using God's great mission. And he's saying, this is where I enter tension. I will enter into conflict when somebody is opposing the mission of God. That's when I'm going to take a stand. That's when I'm going to say, who should we obey, God or man? I'm going to do that when, when God's mission is being opposed, when God's mission is being confronted and being pushed to the side or being distorted, as he says here in the, in the text. A different gospel. His measure of entering into conflict is clearly that he is going to do it because of God's mission being interfered with. Paul knows that the fulfillment of God's promises brings about peace. It's not built in the hope of the Roman peace that was, that was promised by the Roman Empire or the government of, of today. It's about, it's about a peace that God brings, and it's not necessarily coming through the traditions of the past either. Paul takes on large topics, and, and he says it, but he says it with authority. Right at the beginning, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from man. He's saying, I'm not claiming my authority from some people who are saying, oh yeah, Paul, you're so good. 
He's claiming his authority directly from the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's, he's rooting it in a specific historic incident. That Jesus was raised from the dead. And because Jesus raised from the dead, God has done something in the person of Israel, Jesus Christ, who is changing all the traditions and all the ways of the world. So what we enter conflict about is we enter conflict when the message and the mission of God is being impeded by government and tradition because we know that the road to God is, or the road to peace is not through government or tradition, but through Jesus Christ. And so we are willing to rock the boat when needed. You know, and through this series, we'll be begging the question, does the church need to rock the boat in Canadian culture? And in what ways does it? All right, so we need to find a common mission and a message to be able to measure that a, a message that says this is what we would rock the boat over this is what we would actually hold on to what we would what we would really passionately and zealously support so we're going to look at verse four here it says uh well actually i'll just read verse three so that we get it because it, verse four jumps into the middle of a sentence grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father. Okay, so Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Very, very loaded language. And it's very important for us today about our common mission and message. So, here we go. It might help if we address it in reverse order. Let's talk about from the present evil age. On a global scale, there is evil in the world that's destroying peace. It, it's destroying hope. And it works against the promises of God today. And we know this. In our affluent society, we have poverty that, that's so significant. And it's not material. The poverty that we have, you know, is, is the poverty that brings too much simplicity and too much superficiality. The poverty that we have is, is answered by substance and, and understandable logic and layered complexity that allows us to understand deeply and to explore things with a, a sense of quality. But what we have in culture are memes that are generally meaningless. We have a poverty of, of superficiality that, that makes us not have space to genuinely engage in real relationship. I remember speaking to people numerous times that say, I don't have a place that I can actually have an authentic, real relationship. I don't have a place that I can talk about what I really think, what I really believe, because we're just so busy talking about what show we watched on Netflix or whether Apple TV is worth subscribing to. And so we really struggle with superficiality in our relationships. We don't have space that, that might get into some tension, might get into some conflict. And, and our society is impoverished because of it. 
You know, and we need substance in our faith to answer that, po- that poverty. And that's where we're willing to enter in. So this is all a sign of the present evil age, that we are impoverished. We are poor and naked and blind, as Revelation says. And so we find ourselves in this evil age, struggling through while we have all of the gizmos and the technology, and many of us have a little bit of extra money in the bank that we're able to do this and that and, you know, and, and get through the hard times, but there is a present evil age. And so, you know, that's the first part. We need to understand that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age. And so, you know, we we have that. The second part that I want to look at is for our sins. You know, the evil of of this present age is witnessed by everybody. All of us can see it. I don't care if you go to church or you don't go to church. You see the present age and you see the evil that happens around us. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He talks about the sins The specific sins that Jesus gave himself for. See, the problem of evil that infects the world infects us. We contribute to the evil in the world. And you know what? Any one of us, when we are being honest, whether you go to church or whether you do not go to church, you know that you contribute to the breakdown of relationships and to the evil in the world, and you have seen that a simple action has consequences beyond what you thought it was going to have. And so Paul is saying here that the message that we gather around is the fact that Jesus did something for to answer this present evil age and the sins, our contribution to it. We can see that. So the hope we have in Jesus is the last part I'm going to deal with here, is Jesus gave himself to deliver us. You know, there's a message of hope, a gospel message, a good news message, that through Jesus there is a removal of the evil age and the damage that our sin brings in. It brings in to God's creation, and it brings into our relationship with God, and it brings into our relationship with each other. Jesus will remove the sin from your life and bring healing and provision from the poverty that we have into areas of your greatest need. Paul is assuming this point as the point of agreement. Paul's setting up this point as the foundation for his conflict. And so we're about to tackle some conflict that will cause us to think in this whole book and evaluate and ask, are the traditions and the systems we exist in standing in the way of a true proclamation of the promises of God? God promises to be with us and to make all things right. You know, there is definitely... Um, a lot of pressure in that to respond to something in slack you know there, there is pressure in that that when a preacher or when a Christian stands up and says here is the truth of the gospel there is a responsibility to not deal with it superficially fisherly that's not a word superficially there we go and so 
you know, that is, that is a really good place um, that we should not take the name of the Lord in, in vain. So let's get into the conflict. Verse 6 and 7, and then we'll leave the rest for another day. Um, you have abandoned the gospel in order to follow a traditional group. There's the accusation. There's the accusation of the conflict. You've abandoned this point of agreement that Jesus is the one who has come to liberate you from the present evil age and your sins. You've abandoned that to pursue and to please a tradition. So the revelation of God to Paul showed Paul how Jesus expands the promise of the blessing to from Abram to all the nations. And Paul's entire mission in life is to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus to the nations. And that comes from Acts 15, or Acts 9, 15. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So that was spoken to Ananias of Paul, that God is saying, I am choosing Paul to to spread my name to all the Gentiles, all the ethnicities of the world. Paul says to the church in Galatia, you're abandoning the heart of the mission of God. Let that never be true of us as as promised church. Let that never be true of us as churches. As we are here online today, Let us not abandon the heart of the mission of God, which is the inclusion of all nations to know Jesus. So the heart of the mission of God, according to Paul, is the blessings of Abraham. The blessings of Israel are to be brought to all the nations through the gospel of Jesus. And the inclusion into the family of God, the people of Israel, is brought through the person, Jesus Christ. So this is, um, this is a, an interesting point, and I'm actually going to pause here because someone's asked a question. I wonder how many people accused Paul at this point of disunity, not, of not being united with the church body. And absolutely, this would have happened. This is actually where the tension comes, that the people that, that Paul is saying are, are Judaizers are going to try to defame Paul. They're going to try to say, oh, well, you don't speak eloquently. And we see Paul reflecting on that in other letters. We see that the the accusations against Paul are that he's off base. And Paul's saying, I am absolutely not off base. The truth of the gospel is this. And this is what we're going to unite around. So, very, very good point. Um, Today, as, as the larger church community, we still believe the core of this message we have to ask ourselves the question, are we allowing influential traditional group to put up barriers to people that would inhibit people and groups and individuals from entering into God's promises? Are we doing things in our church setting that actually stop people from hearing the truth of Jesus? Do we place undue expectations on people for how they act? Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Let's look at verse 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who trouble you and want to distort 
the gospel of Jesus. There are some of you who want to distort the gospel of Jesus. What you want to do is you want to make people look like and act like you do. Because Jesus did so much for you, now you have to say, well, the only way you're going to be part of us is when you look like and act like I do. When, when the sins that you participate in are the same sins that I participate in, then we could be brought together. Ooh. Okay. The promise, the unifying promise of Jesus is that he will deal with the evil of this present age and my sins. All of them. But who's dealing with them? Is it me as a Christian? Am I dealing with the sins of somebody else? Or is Jesus dealing with the sins of somebody else? And trust me, Jesus is dealing with the sins. Jesus is dealing with the evil. But is it me who separate, makes that line of distinction? Is it me? And so that's something that we really, really have to look at. As we get into what the real conflict is, as we, as we I'm going to just push and foreshadow a little bit ahead, the traditionalists are people who are saying, yeah, you can come in and you can be joined in the blessings of, of Abraham, but you have to do it by doing what we do, the way we do it, when we do it. That's the way that you're in. And Paul's saying, enough of that. Jesus is the one who is pointing the way and is working the truth. Jesus is the one who is removing sin. And so there are some of you who, who trouble you. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus. This is a huge thing. You know, um, Devin just wrote, what amazing, what, what's amazingly ironic about tradition is that while it can be very dangerous, if held in higher priority than the message, the tradition or traditions can also be one of the strongest ways in which a person can experience the sense of community. So absolutely. So our traditions can really help. They can help us experience the truth of Jesus. And they can also be barriers and as a church, we need to be aware that, that there are places where we cannot allow the barriers of tradition to stop the truth of the message that Paul has identified here for us. And so that's a really important point. There is a final warning today about people being a curse when they come, when, when, they, when they say a different message. And here's the warning that Joel was getting at earlier when he said it's scary for preachers. There's a lot of pressure to say the right things. And for all of us as Christians, we, ca we carry this. Paul says, let anyone be accursed who preaches a different gospel. Who preaches something that goes against the truth that's revealed in scripture. Let them be accursed. The warning here is to guard the message of hope that we've been given beyond any other message, beyond any other method, beyond any tradition, beyond anything else, it is Jesus who sets us free from our sins and who will redeem us from this evil age. And it's Jesus who's doing it. See, Paul's just winding up here. He's just getting started. He's just presented the conflict. And even so, just in a superficial way, when Paul really digs into it, we're going to see just how passionate Paul gets about 
this message of Jesus being the way for all nations, all people, you included, to experience the blessing of God. And it is found in Jesus. So I'm excited to travel along this letter with you over the next couple weeks. I'm excited as we celebrate New Year. I'm excited that, that God is going to do great work. And we will be challenged as we enter into the heart of what Paul is saying. And we will see that Jesus shines brighter on the other side. So let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your provision of the way in which all of us, every person, churched and unchurched, can experience your blessing. God, I thank you for coming in person, for investing in your creation, walking alongside of us, dying and being resurrected to show that you have overcome all evil, even death, you have overcome it. And Jesus, I pray that as we as a people put our absolute truth and we affirm and commit allegiance to you, God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom, the words, and the boldness to speak the blessing of God that comes in Jesus. And that blessing is that God will be with us, that he will remove all evil, and he will make all things right. We thank you for this. We thank you for the book of Galatians, and we ask you to, to work in us this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and uh, God bless you. And I look forward to seeing you again one day. Um, if anybody wants to contact me or be in touch with any of our pastoral staff, you can do it um, through email, um, info at Promise Church, or you could do it by going to promisechurch.community and just hitting any of those um, connect boxes. Um, or you can hit me up on Slack, and we would be willing to, to meet with you and have conversations with you. We thank you. God bless you. May he keep you into the new year, and may your new year celebration be full of joy and thanksgiving. God bless.